Well, I'm going to speak this morning. I'm going to continue on the vein that we've been talking about the last few weeks. First of all, I was gone last weekend, and I was at a conference uh, out in uh, uh, Boulder, uh, where was I at? Colorado Springs. And uh, it was uh, a Chuck Colson. I'm, I'm going through the nine-month program called the Colson Fellows. And it's part of the Colson Center. Chuck Colson, you remember him? Um, and the Colson Fellows, yes. And it's a, it's a really good study on... Uh, how we deal as a Christian with the worldviews and the cultures that are in this world. And it is really, really, it's, I mean, I was like drinking from a fire hose last weekend, getting information. I mean, it's really good speakers. James, uh, uh, Jim Daly from uh, Focus on the Family spoke one of the events, and then uh, uh, Dr. Glenn Sunshine, who you probably don't know, and there's a bunch of other speakers that are really, really smart uh, individuals, historians, Bible scholars, and it's just really good study, and uh, I'm really en- enjoying it. It's uh, very deep, um, but it's really good. So that's where I was at last weekend, and I missed not being here, actually, um, so I'm glad I'm back with you today. But we've been speaking on end times. We've been speaking in, on, in the, the chapter of uh, Matthew, chapter 24, Jesus' words, actually, um, talking to his disciples, answering the questions that they had about what will be the signs of the end times? What will, what, will, what will it be like? And they were asking him some really good questions, and Jesus gave some really good answers in uh, chapter 24. And we spent three or four weeks talking about that. So now we're moving into chapter 25, which is the same conversation. It's the same, it's the same timing. Jesus is still sitting on the mountain of olives there, and he's still having this discourse with his disciples. And now he moves into a parable. And a parable is um, a story that, uh, that brings a specific point. Jesus spoke a lot in parables. Some of them were very clear to understand, and some of them were ha- have, had a hidden meaning that Jesus went back and he talked to his disciples later and he explained the, the meaning of the parable. I think it's pretty clear. I think we're going to get a lot out of this parable that Jesus is talking to, and, and it's all about the times of the end. It's all about the end times. And can I ask you, do you believe that we are living in the end times? Yeah. I don't know when the time is coming. Now, we just, we just are at September 24th. There was a big sign in the clouds, or in the clouds, there was a big sign in the, in the stars last night, the 23rd, about the Revelation 12 sign. There was a lot, of, a lot of study about that, a lot of hoopla about that. But you know what? It's all a sign. And I am not disappointed that we didn't, well, I am disappointed because I, I can't wait for the rapture, but I'm not, I'm not upset by it, and we certainly did not set any dates. We don't set dates, but we are living in the times that it's very clear that Jesus is coming soon. And I think that when we live with a level of expectation and a level of urgency, it helps us in our life in general, not just being prepared for the last moment, the last time, the last moment before the trumpet calls, but just living our life of, of living, of consistency when we, live, when we live a life of, of, of being ready for, the, for that moment. So that's where Jesus is talking to us today. So open up your Bible to chapter 25 of Matthew. If you have your Bible, would you open it up? Because we're going to spend quite a bit of time there. Uh, and so I just want to make sure your thumb is there. I'm going to read out of the Amplified Version today. So Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, thoughtless, silly, or careless. And five were wise, meaning farsighted, practical, and sensible. Verse 3. For when the foolish took their lamps, they did not take any extra oil with them. 
but the wise took flasks of oil along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was delayed, they all began to nod off and they fell asleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins got up and put, the, put their own lamps in order, trimmed the wicks and added oil and lit them. Verse 8, But the foolish virgins said to the wise, Give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, otherwise there will not be enough for us and for you too. So go instead to the dealers and buy oil for yourselves. But while they were going away to buy oil, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut and locked. Later the others also came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, I do not know you. In other words, we have no relationship. Therefore, be alert, be prepared and ready, for you do not know the day nor the hour when the Son of Man will come. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we are asking you for your insight today. There is much speculation going around in the world, and, and as a result, there's much nervousness and there's much unrest. But Lord, we are asking for your peace. We are asking for your wisdom. We are asking for your leadership. And so we just open our hearts and minds now to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we've all been around weddings enough to know that there is a lot of preparation required for a wedding, especially for the ladies. Now, guys, we just take a shower, clean up. Maybe we might even shave and just kind of show up. But for the ladies, man, it is a big deal getting ready for a wedding. There's a lot of excitement. I've been around enough of them to know that for the ladies, it starts early in the morning and it goes all day long until the wedding comes. I mean, they're, they're up. Um, they might even shower together. I don't know, but they do everything together, man. I mean, they're putting on their makeup. They're putting on their, their fingernail polish. They're putting on all their clothes. They're, I mean, they spend hours getting ready. There's a lot of excitement for the wedding. And rightly so, because it's a big deal. It's a big event. And it probably was the same for these ten virgins here. They were going to a wedding, and they probably were all excited, and it was a big thing to be a part of it, because they were invited to the wedding, and they were there to do that. All right? So now let's, let's back up a little bit, and let's define some of the characters here of this, of this wedding. Who is the bridegroom? Who's the bridegroom that we're talking about? Well, I think we can say with certainty that the bridegroom in this parable is Jesus. Isaiah chapter 62, verse 5, As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. John the Baptist also describes Jesus as the bridegroom of those that believe in Jesus and also for the coming church that he's speaking of. John chapter 3, verse 29 and 30 the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friends who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, says John the Baptist. And, it's, and, and I'm going to say this joy is mine, says Mike Way. And for you probably can say the same thing. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. And then later on, Paul talks in the New Testament, again, talking about Christ being the bride or, or the, the groom and the church being the bride of Jesus, the bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wife as Christ 
loves the church. And he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present herself to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and blameless. So we see very clearly that in this parable, the bridegroom is represented as Christ. Okay, now who are the ten virgins? The ten virgins may have been bridegrooms, or I'm sorry, bridesmaids that were assisting the bride, and they were going to meet the bridegroom during the celebration at that time. For us today, the ten, vir the ten virgins represent us. We are the ten virgins. We are the church, the body of Christ, and it's interesting because even though we make up the church, who Christ is coming back for as the bride, we are also represented as the bridesmaids or the ten virgins here. So he's speaking to us. The ten virgins are you and I today. All right, so now let's go back and let's understand the Jewish context a little bit more of this parable. Remember, when the Bible was written, it was written to typically by Jewish people, and they understood the Jewish culture of the day, the worldview of the Jewish people. So it's important for us to kind of grasp that as the best we can. So uh, let me just read what this theologian says uh, about it. In describing a first-century Jewish wedding, D.A. Carson, in the Expositor's Bible Commentary, describes the setting this way. Normally the bridegroom, with some close friends, left his home to go to the bride's home, where there were various ceremonies, followed by a procession through the streets after nightfall to his home. The ten virgins may be bridesmaids, who have been assisting the bride, and they expect to meet the groom as he comes from the bride's house. Everyone in the procession was expected to carry his or her own torch. Those without a torch would be assumed to be party crashers or even brigadans or thieves or troublemakers. The festivities, which last several, uh, several days, would formally get underway at the groom's house. The torch was either a lamp with a small oil tank and a wick or a stick, with a rag soaked in oil on the end of it, which would require occasional re-soaking to maintain the flame. So, understanding the context of the wedding ceremony here, it's a little bit different than our westernized wedding where we just go in and it all happens in a day. This happens through a period, a number of days, including a night season. And so, the groom, it goes to the bride's house and who knows what's going on there. They may be, he may be buying a dowry. He may be going through all types of ceremonies with the father of the bride and so forth. But then he goes from the bridegroom's house to his own house. And as he's going, those that are going to go into the celebration with him are waiting for him. And they will go with him in the procession as he goes to his house. Right? And because it's at night... And because there could be robbers or thieves or troublemakers, those are identified, they, have, they carry a torch. And their, their torch must be lit when the bridegroom comes by if they're going to uh, accompany him on the processional to his house. And that's what's happening here, is that we're talking about now what's happening here for the ten virgins or the church. Are we ready for the bridegroom to come to enter into the wedding feast? And that is, that is representing the rapture. It's representing the time where the church accompanies Jesus to his home where we're now going to enter into the wedding celebration or the wedding feast. We're talking about the return of Christ here. And I think we can be rest assured that we're talking about the rapture or the first stage of the second coming. 
and not the second stage, which is at the, at the end of the tribulation period, which is coming as the time where Christ comes back on earth to establish the millennial reign uh, of, of the kingdom. And I say that because this is talking about a time of surprise, a time where they know they're in the season of the bridegroom coming, but they don't know exactly when. So they're just expected to be ready. And that's kind of where we're at today. So this is talking about the return of Jesus in the, as in the rapture where he's coming to take away the church. Another commentary says this about this parable and what we can take away from it, the things that we can learn towards the urgency of being prepared and the urgency of being ready for this to happen. It says, this parable points out that all who believe in Christ must constantly examine their own spiritual condition in light of Christ's coming at an unknown hour and an unexpected time. They must remain true to their faith in Christ no matter what, so that when the day and hour arrive, they will be ready for him and he will receive them with, when he returns. Failure to be in a devoted personal relationship with the Lord when he returns will mean being left out of his kingdom. So this is a very serious parable that we can learn from. So let's go back and study the parable and find out what we can find here. Okay, let's talk about the virgins for a minute. There's ten virgins. Going back to verse 2. Open your Bible. You got your Bible turned to it. Open, look at your Bible. It says, five of them were foolish, meaning thoughtless, silly, and careless, and five were wise, indicating they were farsighted, practical, and sensible. For when the foolish took their lamps, they did not take any extra oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. All right, so there's ten virgins. Five are considered foolish, and five are considered wise. Now, what's the difference between foolish and wise? Okay, the foolish ones are thoughtless and silly and careless, as the Amplified Version uh, points out. They're foolish because even though they know about the event and they know the custom of the event, they spent all this time preparing for the day. They got all excited about it, but they're not prepared for the wait. They're not prepared for what's going to come, how they have to be prepared through the whole process. They're only there for the, a moment, the immediacy of the hour, but they're foolish because they're not long-term thinkers. They're foolish because they took their lamps, but they did not take any extra oil with them. They had, they had no way to maintain the lamp. They had no way to maintain um, the, 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 the fire that they had to have because they were not prepared. They were foolish in their preparations. However, the wise are described as being farsighted, practical, and sensible. The wise virgins took extra oil, and they took whatever supplies they needed to to trim the, the, to trim the wicks and make sure that there was a good flame, a good bright flame. They took extra oil with them. And the overall message of this parable is the message of urgent preparation and being well prepared so that we can, we can hold on to the end, that we cannot get um, excited right now but we allow the, the cares of this world to overtake and put out our, our flame or overtake and maybe we get discouraged or we get distracted at the end. No, the parable here is to talk about being ready and being consistent to the very end so that when the bridegroom comes, I'm ready to go in. That's, that's the message of the parable. The foolish virgins would have been okay. If the bridegroom would have come, if they got out there, let's just say, if they got out there at midnight... And if a bridegroom would have come at 12.15, they would have been fine. 
they would have had the oil, their lamp would have been working, they would have been fine. They were there for the moment, but they didn't have the wherewithal to hang on to the end. The bridegroom, it says, the bridegroom was delayed. Now, we don't know why he's delayed, and that's not important. That's not an important part of the story. All that's necessary is that he was delayed. In other words, they didn't know when the bridegroom was going to be coming, whether at 12, 15, or 5 o'clock in the morning. They had no idea. They were just out there waiting for him to accompany him to his house whenever the time came. Likewise today, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. We know he's coming back. Does that, is there anybody here with a question in their mind, is Jesus coming back? No, we know that he's coming back. So the likewise, for, for those that are uh, in this true and relationship with Christ, there is no reason to fear here. In John chapter 14, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, John tells us, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. So there is no question Jesus is coming back. Amen? He's coming back for a church that's ready, that is spotless, that is, that is uh, blameless, that a church that is forgiven. A, first, a, a church that is forgiven. We don't know exactly when, but we know he's coming. All right, now let's go back to verse 5. Now, while the bridegroom was delayed, they all began to nod off and they fell asleep. So now the ten virgins are there waiting and they've had a busy day getting ready. They're all excited, and now they're sitting down, and you know how it gets after a busy day, and you finally sit down in a chair. What happens? Lawrence, what happens when you finally sit down in a chair? You fall asleep. We, <laughs> we fall asleep. When we finally, after a busy day, and we sit down in a chair, we fall asleep, and it's natural, and it's normal. So what's the significance, then, of this in the story? Did just the foolish virgins fall asleep or did all ten of them fall asleep? Is there anything wrong with sleeping? So what's the problem? Could there be a different lesson here for the foolish virgin and the wise virgin when it came to sleeping? Let's take a look at this for a minute. Let's talk about first the foolish virgin. The fact that all ten virgins fell asleep may indicate that they were tired. <laughs> They were tired. They had prepared all day long. And, 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 and life just gets that way. Come on. We get tired, don't we? And, and it, just, it just got tired. So the challenge here is for us is not to necessarily stay awake. It's to be prepared in our sleeping. Now let's follow this through a little bit more. Peter gave, this, uh, a, a, gave us a, a, a challenge similarly to our days today in that how we are to be ready we're to be ready so that we can sleep or relax a little bit and just trust the Lord that he's going to give us the answer when we need it. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Max brought it out today in Sunday school class. How many here are Christians? All right. What's the next question, Max? How many here are in full-time ministry? Come on. Did you hear the question? 
If you're a Christian, you are in full-time ministry. You're not a Christian if you're in part-time ministry. You don't have the freedom to be part-time in this. You are, if you're a Christian, you are a full-time minister. Full-time. That means you must be ready at all times to give an answer for those that say, hey, what's different about your life? I see you acting a little bit different. I see you treating people differently. I see you acting differently on the job. What's different about you? Well, if you're in full-time ministry, you have an answer right now. It's Jesus. Right? That's what it is to be prepared life. That's why we live prepared to give an answer. Living a prepared lifestyle is living a wise lifestyle. Let me say that again. Living a prepared lifestyle is living a wise lifestyle. There's so much more to be gained in this life when I live prepared than when I live unprepared. It's not just being as important as it is to be ready for the rapture. Can I say it's more than that? It's more than just living for that moment in time because I have to live the day. I have to live in today's vernacular. I can't live always for tomorrow, even though my vision, my long-term vision, should always be long-term as the wise virgins. I have to live today. And if I live today in a prepared lifestyle, it gives me great peace. It gives me great assurance that I'm on the right path. It takes away the anxiety of living unprepared. It helps me to make wise choices. It helps me to prioritize my time. It helps me not to get involved with foolish things that have no eternal significance. It helps me to pace myself. Remember, this is a marathon, not a sprint. This is not a 100-yard dash. This is a 26.1-mile marathon, and good marathoners know that they have to pace themselves. We don't burst out of the, of the start line running like a madman only to burn out at the end. No, we pace ourselves. And so living a prepared lifestyle, being a wise lifestyle, means that I am pacing myself. Can I also say this? That if you want true freedom, how many here want freedom in your life? How many here want to be bound? No, we want freedom. Do you know how to have a freedom in your life? Can I just tell you the best way to have true freedom in your life is get as close as you can to Jesus. Get as close as you can to Jesus. What does that mean? It means living a life of total surrender. It means living a life where I say, Jesus, I am all in for you. I am full-time ministry for you. I don't put you on when it's convenient and take you off when it's not convenient. I don't put off my Christian hat on the job. I don't put off my Christian hat when I'm with the boys. No, I am all in for you all the time. And if you want, if you want freedom, that's the best way to get freedom because now you are putting all compromise aside and you just learn, you learn when to say, no, thank you, I don't do that. And you learn to say, yes, I do that. And I enter in fully on whatever I am to doing. I do it with all my heart, mind, and soul. I love the Lord with all my heart, mind, body, and strength. You want true freedom? It's not playing with the world. Playing with the world does not give you freedom. That's a lie from the enemy. You want free Some people say, I live in the era of grace. Therefore, I have freedom to live the way I want to live and still have all I have with Jesus. Well, let me ask you a question. How many here, if you're married, 
How many here want to have a great relationship with your spouse? Yeah. All right, now, if you don't want to have a great relationship with your spouse, here's what you do. Go flirt with somebody else's spouse. Go flirt with any woman or man you see on the street and then go home and see if you're going to have a happy marriage. It doesn't work that way, does it? You want to have a happy marriage, you want to have a happy relationship, then love that person and let them know that you love them with all of your heart. You give all you can to your marriage spouse, and she or he will give all back to you. But if you're playing the game, thinking, I'm going to go flirt over here, I'm going to go play the field over here, you didn't get married to date. You got married to be committed to your wife. You didn't get married to Christ to play with the world. So why would you even think that way? It doesn't make any logical sense. If I'm a Christian, I'm going to go all in for Christ. And if I want true freedom in that, I'm going to go all in with my choices. And I'm going to choose to avoid the things in this life that would bring a potential relationship hinderer. Anything that could potentially hinder my relationship with the Lord, I should put away. And I shouldn't go there. I shouldn't play with it. Does that make sense? All right. So that's, that's how we live a wise lifestyle. All right? The other lesson we can take away from the five wise virgins that fell asleep is this, all right? We talked about the, nece the necessity of, of doing the things that are not foolish, okay? And here's what you get when you act wisely. If one's life is actively prepared for Christ, then that person can have rest and peace, and they can sleep, and they can be comfortable. Not complacent. I'm not talking, there's a difference between complacency and comfortable. Paul said, I am content in all things. Paul said, I know what it's like to have abundance. I know what it's like to be shipwrecked. I know what it's like to be poor. And he said, I have learned to be content in all things. Why? Because Paul lived a life of readiness. He lived a life of the wise virgin. He's li he lived the life of prepared living, the wise life. God's word is full of encouraging words to the faithful. Faithful follower here, if you're faithful, you have no reason to be afraid. You have no reason to be anxious. You have no reason to be nervous. You have no reason to doubt God's goodness. Man, Max, you are right on today. Sunday school class was right on today again about when Jesus took his, when Jesus was on the boat with his disciples and they were going over to the other side of the lake, Jesus said, come on, guys, let's get in the boat because we're going to go to the other side of the lake. All right, now, while they were in the boat, a big storm came up, and it got really rough. And what was Jesus doing? He was sleeping. What were the disciples doing? They were in a panic. They were thinking, we're going to die. And they woke Jesus up and said, Jesus, we're going to sink. And Jesus said, guys, did I say we were going to get in the middle of this boat, in the middle of this lake and sink, or did I say we were going to the other side? We're going to the other side. Jesus knew he was going to make it to the other side, therefore he didn't have to get nervous about it. Now, that's a great lesson for us. It's a great way for us to understand that God says when he gives us a promise of God's word, go to it and live in it and claim it for yourself and say, God, I believe your promises are true today and I'm going to apply them in my life. That is wise living. 
That is living the way the wise virgins lived. And that is the way we are to live. It's not a name it, claim it, prosperity thinking so that I can get everything that I get and I spend it on me. No, it's just knowing that God's word is true. And he says, I'm going to get you to the other side. Therefore, you can sleep. Amen. And if your faith is shaken a little bit, just ask him for some more faith. If it's shaken a little bit, say, God, just give me more faith. I, I, I believe it. I just need a little more help here. And there's nothing wrong with getting a little help along the way from your friends, right? We can come alongside. We can pray with you. We can encourage you. That's okay. That's what friends are for. That's what church is for. That's why we're together together like this. But God's word tells us, Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, I know that there is a proper context for these Old Testament passages. But I'm not taking them out of context here by giving them to you for you and I today because if you're following Jesus with all your heart, you can take these verses and their promises of God's word. This isn't for someone that is living a lifestyle of the foolish virgin. This is for those that are living according to the, was, the, the wisdom of life and living like a wise virgin. These passages are for you and I today. So if you're, li if you're living for Jesus, if he is the center point of your life, then take these verses to the bank and count on them and remind the Lord of these verses when you're going through hard times. John chapter 14, verse 23 through 29. This is New Testament speaking. Jesus replied, these are Jesus' words, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, who is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, boy, you know, there's some ifs here. If you loved me, all those that love me, obey me. See, this is the one, remember the song we sang, um, draw me, Lord, draw me, I'll follow you. That's why we sang it twice, is because as the Lord draws us, our responsibility is, is to follow do you understand that? It makes sense. I can't be drawn by the Lord and then do go my own way. If he draws me and I don't follow, then I'm not wise. If he draws me and I go the opposite direction, I'm one of the foolish virgins. Do you see how this works? It says in verse 28, You heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to my Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe faithful follower of Jesus, you have nothing to fear. Wise virgin, you have nothing to fear. Only joy and peace and expectation of all that Christ has promised you is what your days are going to be in advance. That's what's coming for you. Joy and peace and expectation.
It's an exciting time. We're living in a great time. Even though the world is going crazy right now, you and I are living in an exciting time because we can be wise in this time and we can be prepared no matter what's going on. All right, let's go back to verse 6. We've got to continue on here. Verse 6 of our text, Matthew chapter 25, verse 6. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins got up and put their own lamps in order. They trimmed the wicks, added oil, and lit them. But the foolish virgins said to the, said to the wise, Give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. Well, remember, they're all sleeping. All of a sudden, the shout comes, Hey, wake up! The bridegroom's coming. So they have to wake up, and they've got to make sure their lamps are burning. If the lamps aren't lit, they can't proceed in their processional because that was their ticket to get in. Because otherwise, if they came in without a lamp, they could be considered a thief or a troublemaker and they wouldn't be allowed in. So it was vitally important that their lamps were lit when the bridegroom came by. Makes sense. All right. All ten virgins wake up. The wise ones are prepared and they immediately begin to check their lamps. They immediately began to put more oil in the flask. They immediately oil or permit or, 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 or start to trim the, the, the wick to make sure that it's, it's perfectly giving off good light and not a lot of smoke and so forth. And they woke up to find themselves busy making sure their lamp was lit. All right. Now the five foolish virgins, they woke up and they had nothing to prepare with. They had nothing to prepare with. They weren't wise in their preparation. They immediately asked the wise virgins, hey, can you give me some oil? Can you lend me some oil? The answer was, the wise replied, no, I can't. Otherwise, there will not be enough for us and for you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy oils for yourselves. Now, when I've read this in the past, it seems a little selfish, doesn't it? It seems a little selfish that the wise virgin would not give oil to the foolish virgin and say, yeah, I'll give you a little bit of mine, just give a little bit, and, and who knows, maybe we'll both have enough. But the answer is no, I can't. Now remember, this is a parable. Remember, Jesus has a specific point here to make. The oil here, what does it represent? The oil represents true faith and true relationship with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. The oil represents the Holy Spirit in the lives of these people. The five virgins bringing them, the five wise virgins bringing them with them extra oil is indicating that their lives are fully prepared with a true relationship of the Holy Spirit. They have a true personal relationship, and that is something that cannot be shared. I cannot give you part of my relationship. You cannot borrow from me part of my relationship. The relationship is personal, very personal relationship. Now, you, there's fruit of your relationship that people can see, but you can't give them your relationship. You know, you've heard the saying probably that God has no grandchildren, Right? God has no grandchildren. In other words, nobody gets in 
by riding the coattails of anybody else. I could be a great Christian, and therefore my kids could say, well, my dad's a great Christian, therefore I'm going to get into heaven because my dad's a great Christian. No, it doesn't work that way. Not at all. Everyone is responsible for having developed their own personal relationship with God through Jesus at the beckoning of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit draws to Jesus. We then receive Jesus, who then leads us to the Father. So our relationship is based on that drawing. Draw me, Lord. Draw me, Jesus. And I'll follow you then into the presence of the Father. That's what it's all about. That's why we need to interact with this. That's why we need to apply this word. It's more than just hearing the word because the, the foolish virgins knew the word. They had heard it. In fact, at probably one time, the, the foolish virgins were probably as just as prepared as the wise virgins. Many people today in their Christian walk, maybe at some point in time, were on fire for Jesus and were saved. But this passage seems to indicate that we can fall away. This passage seems to indicate that we can let our fire go out, that we can lose our passion for Christ, and that when the time comes, we may not be ready. This isn't to scare anybody. It is just to make us urgent, make us aware of our responsibilities and how important it is that we keep ourselves prepared. So how do we do this? How do we do this? How, do, how were the ten virgins supposed to live to prepare themselves to have oil, oil of the Holy Spirit, and how are we today? Well, let's go back to God's Word. It's always good to go to God's Word, isn't it? Would you rather have God's Word or my opinion? Okay, well then open up your Bible. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Verse 1, it says, we're going to read verse 1 through verse 7, all right? It says, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through, our, through your apostles. Above all, listen, this is really important for end, end time stuff. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Now let's pause for a second here. Do we not see the scoffers today? Can we not be guilty of scoffing today? Think about it. I mean... We, I think we all know that Jesus is coming again. But is there something within you that says, not in my time, not in my lifetime, so therefore I, I'm not going to really worry about it? I mean, be honest here with yourself. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever considered that? Okay. Let's go on to verse 8. He says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Hmm. I thought God was an angry God. I thought God was a mean God. 
I thought God was a vengeful God. Not according to First and Second Peter. He says that God wants everyone to come to repentance. He's a patient God. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Now, this is the question that I asked at the beginning. How should we live? If we're going to live like the ten or the five wise virgins, how do we live? Okay, Peter's telling us right here. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in a heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, again, since you are looking forward to this, here's the instruction again, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Amen. That's the way we live. We live holy. We live as close to Jesus as we can. We live righteous. We don't settle for the temporary pleasures of this world. We can enjoy the world. We just don't settle for it. We can enjoy it when I know that I have my lamps well prepared, where my Holy Spirit oil is full, and I'm prepared. I can enjoy today. I can go out and enjoy the 90-degree weather out there today. I can go back out and walk to Fisherman's Island this afternoon and enjoy the sunshine, and I can do that. Why? Because I have my lamp full, because my life is prepared, because I'm living a holy life. Living a life prepared means living a life of relationship. Verses 10 through 14, let's finish this up. But while they were going away, who they, the, the foolish virgins, while they were going away to buy oil, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut and locked. Later the others also came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door. But he replied, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, I do not know you. In other words, we have no relationship. Scary words. You know, um, we listened to a, or we watched a video on Wednesday night from Dr. David Jeremiah on his teaching on the rapture. And in that, he talked about, uh, he had a personal friendship with, uh, was it LaHaye? Well, I can't remember, Jack LaHaye? J J Tim LaHaye. Yeah, he was the author of Left Behind. And Tim LaHaye described to him that the, the, the story behind the book was that he was on an airplane and he was flying and he happened to see, he was on an international flight and he saw the pilot uh, flirting with the, one of the flight attendants. And he happened to see the pilot have a wedding band on. And the storyline came. But what's it going to be like when the rapture comes to those that are caught in a bad way? All right, so that's how the book, that's how the book, the series Left Behind came to be. Let me give you a little personal story. Um, this was in 1995, and I was still working at McNaughton McKay, and I was calling on Ford Motor Company. We had some business overseas, and uh, so I, went, I was to go over to, to London, and this was my first international business trip. So I go down 
to the local bookstore, Bible bookstore, downtown Brighton, which I frequented there a lot, and I knew the guy, I knew the owner, we were friends. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm going on a long trip tomorrow. I need a book. What do you have? Because I, I like to read um, um, good books. I like to read fictional books. I like to read just good books, good reads. He said, I, this one just came out. I don't know anything about it. It's, it's called Left Behind. I said, great, I'll take it. Put it, in my, put it in my satchel, go home, pack up, get on the flight the next day, get my book out, start reading my book. Immediately, if you've read the book, immediately I realize that I'm in the exact setting that the book is describing. I'm nonstop from Detroit to London Heathrow. And this is when the rapture takes place. And I'm right in the same book. I'm, I'm reading this thing like, oh, man, this is too close to home right now. And I can't even call my wife to see if she's still there. So I'm reading the book thinking, man, this is really, this, this could happen. You know, I'm reading the book. The rapture takes place while they're on the flight. And the pilot who was married, he was a Christian, but he was flirting. And, and he was a so-called professing Christian. His wife was a sold-out Christian. And she went up in the rapture. And they get to the destination. And the world is in chaos because the rapture happened while they were on the way. Now, you don't think that I had some second thoughts that flight Man, I was praying pretty good. That was a, just a really interesting, that really impacted my life. And I thought about it after, the, after our Wednesday night Bible study, after listening to uh, Dr. Jeremiah, and I'm thinking, you know, what is it going to be like the day after the rapture? Think about it. If it would have happened on a Saturday night, would the pastor that had a feel-good message come to church ready to preach it? Would people come to church? What would, the, what would the worship leader be prepared to lead worship if it happens on a weeknight? Are kids going to school the next day? Are you going to work? What about college kids? Man, you don't think they're on the phone real quick calling the mom and dad, hey, you still there? What's it going to be like? What's this world going to be like the day after the rapture? Now, if that doesn't make you stop and pause a little bit, I don't know that anything will. And again, this isn't to scare you. It's just to say, guys, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. The conclusion, Jackie, would you come? The conclusion then of this parable is in verse 13. It says, therefore, be on the alert. Be prepared and ready. For you do not know the day nor the hour when the Son of Man will come. There's been a lot of talk lately about the rapture. There's been a lot of talk about the signs of the times. And I can readily agree with you, like we said at the beginning of the sermon, that we truly are living in the last days. It is an exciting time. But let me make one last observation about this parable. It's interesting to note that Jesus uses a group of virgins. Not one virgin, not one wise virgin, and one foolish version, but five wise and five foolish. Now, why do you think the numbers mean anything? Well, we have a tendency to run in a herd. We have a tendency to be the pack mentality. We have a tendency to compare ourselves against somebody else. If we follow the leader so often, and for those foolish virgins, they probably followed one that was a little bit 
more spiritual, but not as spiritual as the wise ones. And then what happens when you get into that herd mentality, you start comparing yourself to the next guy. Well, I'm better than him. It's like the old story, if you're in the woods, you're walking in the woods with a buddy and a bear attacks, all you gotta do is run faster than your buddy and you're, you're good. <laughs> Just run faster than the guy next to you and you're fine. Well, that's the mentality sometimes that we think when it comes to coming to stand before the Lord. I just got to be better than the next guy. The reason Jesus gave us numbers was because he didn't want us to compare against numbers. The standard that we're going to measure against is the standard of God's word. The truth of God's word is the only measurement that he's going to measure us by. Not by Joel, not by Nancy, not by Joel or Billy or whoever else. Sorry, Nancy, I wasn't meaning you. But it was just, uh, of course, you could measure your life to, towards Nancy because Nancy's right there. You could do that. But we're not to measure our life against other people. We're to measure our life against the Word of God. Romans chapter 14, verse 10 through 12. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do, you stand, why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. There's no such thing as a class curve. No such thing. Every man will be accountable for his or her own standing before the Lord. And that's why there was no sharing of the oil in this parable. That's why the wise couldn't share their oil with the, with the foolish, because you can't share your experience. It's a personal, private relationship with Jesus. So today, what group are you in? What group are we in today? Are you part of the five foolish virgins? Or are you part of the five wise virgins? Jesus is coming back. And we have no excuse. No excuses that are going to be sufficient on that day. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And Jesus, thank you for giving us this parable that is very clear that we are, to repair, we are to prepare ourselves for your coming. You are the bridegroom. And it's just a matter of time, and we're going to hear the shout. But if we're waiting until we hear the shout to get ourselves ready, it's too late. Now is the time of preparation. Now is the time of making sure that we have oil we have that relationship of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now is the time. So I pray, Father, that you would just challenge us today. Challenge our hearts today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jackie, would you sing that song? Sing with us. Stand with us. All of creation, all of the earth, make straight a highway, a path for the Lord.
Now, as you sing the next couple of verses, if this is your heart's cry, would you come up to the front with us and let's just sing the song together as a, as a body and a fellowship and let's just praise the Lord as we sing this. There will be justice, all will be new. Your name forever, faithful and true. Jesus is coming soon. Like a bride waiting for her groom, we'll be at church ready for you. Every heart longing for a king, we sing, even so come, Lord Jesus. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. Hey, Lord, we long for that day. Lord, we need to be ready for that day. And Lord, we welcome you into our hearts and lives now. Father, forgive us for our sin. Forgive us, Father, of our failures. Lord, we repent of the areas in our life that maybe we're not ready in. Lord, we know that you're faithful and true. And we just give you our hearts and lives today. And we long for that appearing in Jesus' name. Amen.